Well, come on, church. Who's glad to be in church today? Can we put our hands together? Let somebody know you're excited to be here. I want to take a second. I want to look right into the camera. I want you to look right at me. And I want you to know this, that I love you. I care about you. I've been praying for you. And I want to especially greet everyone at every one of our locations and everyone that's joining us online. Church, one more time, can we put our hands together, make them feel loved, make them feel valued and accepted. I want you to let us know where you're joining, from, joining us from online. And then all through the message today, every time I tell somebody to take notes in the room, I want you that's joining us online to fill in the blank right there in the comments section. So I know you're staying with us in the past online, pastor's going to know it too. Well, we are in this series, week number seven. It's the final week of this series entitled, What's Next? This whole series has been kind of camped out around Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, where God is encouraging us to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. It doesn't avail us at all to hear the word. In fact, we can actually become hard of heart that's what's happening in Hebrews. He's saying, hey, if you hear this word today, be obedient. That you would be in danger of being what the Israelites were doing. They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They never entered into their rest. But if you hear this word and you have a heart that's soft and pliable, and the evidence of that soft and pliable heart is that you'll be obedient to God. And so this oftentimes for a lot of us, living out the word is an incredible challenge. That what we need to be able to do is we need to think through how am I living today and what does the word of God say? And oftentimes we, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you start thinking, wow, I must be doing okay because I've been in church a long time. And I find as a pastor, that's often the times when I want to yell the loudest. I, what do I got to do to help them wake up? If, if I just, and, and what I've discovered is if you just yell at people, how many people like that? No one likes that, right? So the way the Holy Spirit works in our heart is he works in our heart like a still, small voice. And what my encouragement to everyone is this, pay attention to the still small voice in your heart. I think at some point today, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to speak to us. And as we begin to hear the Holy Spirit, my simple request is that we would say yes. How many feel like they could say yes? Just put your hand up everywhere, wave that hand online, whatever that is. I'm ready to say yes. I'm ready to take my next step. You're gonna find in your seat and you're gonna find it online, there's a respond card. And we've gone down through most all of the options on the respond card. Every week we're helping people to say, hey, what do I need to do in my life? What's a practical thing that I can do this week? And last week, Pastor Jared talked about serving on a team. Can we give it up for Pastor Jared? So stinking proud of him. So good. That message. I couldn't, I took no after no after no after no after no. That was a powerful word. And I love, love, love watching God do something really beautiful in Pastor Jared and 
and I love what's happening up in Cortland. It's a, uh, it's a fantastic thing. And I'm, I'm like, come on, Binghamton. We're never going to let Cortland catch us. We're going to outpace them, especially during Blockbuster weekends. We're going to have this place smoking good. So Cortland, the gauntlet's been thrown down. And Corning, you'll never catch up to what we're doing. I'm just declaring it now. In Jesus' name, we're going to be the best location. Well, Pastor Jared did a fantastic job on Father's Day, y'all. And, and one of the things that he asked everybody to do was serve. But this week, you can write down, and if you don't have notes, I'm going to have the ushers come at all of our locations. You just slip your hand up in the air and say, hey, I'd love to receive a copy of the notes. I want you to be able to follow along with us and fill in the blanks. But today we are talking about the concept or the idea, I will pray every day. So we started this church about eight years ago. We started in a movie theater. And when I moved to Binghamton, I was living in Springfield, Missouri. We sold our house, quit our jobs, went and lived in a camper in my mother and father-in-law's front yard. My wife was pregnant with Nicholas. Naomi was just a year old. And one of the very first things that we did as a, as a corporate group, actually it was only five or six of us. Ryan was there, the worship leader now here in Binghamton. And then my father, and I don't even know that Crystal was because she's pregnant. And, and, and then my mother-in-law and an old lady who emailed us. And that was the mighty warriors that started Two Rivers Church. We met up on Upper Front Street in the parking lot of the, uh, I think it's now a, a Ukrainian Pentecostal church. It used to be a Catholic church back then. We parked in that parking lot and then we went out and we walked through the neighborhoods. And we just prayed and we said, God, every place I set my foot, I believe it, the way you spoke it to Moses and then you spoke it to Joshua. And now I believe you're speaking it to me. Wherever I set my foot, it'll belong to me. That, God, you're going to give us Binghamton. And then I had in my heart that, God, you were going to do more than Binghamton. That out of Binghamton, out of a church, if we could do church in Binghamton, we could do church anywhere. That if we could go into a place of recession and a place that people feel depressed and a place that people feel like there's no life, if a church could spring up there, why a church could spring up anywhere? And I believed it, that God wasn't going to just use Binghamton, but if we could grow in Binghamton, but that God was going to actually overflow in Binghamton. So I took a picture of that little group. And I said, guys, someday there's going to be thousands of people at Two Rivers. And we're going to look back and we're going to remember this moment. Do you remember that, Ryan? We're going to look back at this moment right here and we can say, this is where the church started. It started in prayer. It started, and we said, we're as a church, we're going to pray. And, and we, we've been as a church over the years, we do 21 days of prayer. And everything good happens in 21 days. I spend the next six months trying to catch up to what moved in that 21 days. And we've got another 21 days of prayer coming up in August, August 1st to August 21st. And I promise you, you take and make the commitment to pray every day for those 21 days. Everything good is going to happen in those 21 days. You're going to spend the next six months catching up to what God does. And we see people have miracles. We see people have healings. We see lost loved ones come to know the Lord. We see people miraculously set free. 
We people who've been smoking cigarettes their whole lives immediately just delivered. We see all kinds of things take place in those 21 days of prayer. And as a church, we've just said, we're going we're gonna to pray first. Turn to your neighbor and say, pray first. Sort of been a rallying cry. Oftentimes in our lives, we'll wait until the last minute. We'll wait until we're on our deathbed, until we're sick and dying and crippled, and then I'll break down, and now I'll finally pray. I've found that when I'm looking for my keys that I've lost, how many people have ever lost keys? I will go look for those keys and look for those keys and look for those keys, and then finally I'll stop and pray, and I'll find them immediately. And then I'll say, why didn't I just pray first? I should have just prayed first. Let's hit the easy button. Let's pray. And so we just have, we've watched God do beautiful things. I believe it this way. We win the war in the supernatural, and we see the evidence of it in the natural. You can move a mountain in prayer. And so when we, when we talk about all these beautiful things, oh my goodness, <clears throat> some of us are saying, what in the world is prayer? That sounds really complicated. I'm going to make it really easy for you. Prayer is just talking to God. You talk to other people, now talk to God. <clears throat> now, we in the religious world can make prayer complicated. I went this last week to uh, Kansas City, Missouri. I missed the fire out of y'all. But it was beautiful. My wife and I, we went to a living waters training. God did so many good things in my heart and life. It was at this Catholic retreat center, though. And so we would go in the morning to Catholic Mass. And I would promise you that we know how to complicate things, don't we? If you've ever been to a Catholic service, I'll tell you right now, God bless them, I love my Catholic brothers and sisters. But I'll tell you, I struggle to get through that experience. And they're talking to other saints to talk to God for you, talking to Mary to talk to Jesus to talk to God. And here's what, here's what I discovered is this. I love them. I love my Catholic brothers and sisters for their tenacity, their faithfulness, and their dedication to, to, to God's word. But I want you to know something, y'all. We can talk directly to God. That Jesus died on the cross so that we can be in relationship with the Father. I don't need to talk to Mary to talk to Jesus to talk to God. I can just go straight to the Father. I don't need anyone to go to the Father for me, and you don't either. And, and, and I just want to take that off of your life if you felt that way, that I can't talk to God. I'm, I'm too shameful. I'm too messed up. Anybody ever feel that way? Like, oh my goodness, if I talk to God now, he's not going to talk to me. Three or four people, all my pastoral team. Good, good job, guys. Well done. That's good. And they're, they know so why, why then don't we pray? If God does all these beautiful things in prayer, why don't we pray? Well, sometimes we say, I just don't have the time. Another thing is I say, it's boring. Or I don't know how to pray. I don't get anything out of prayer. I don't, there's nothing in it for me. 
Or, or maybe you think, I don't pray because God's not going to answer my prayers. Anybody ever feel like that in any of those ways? Like, I, don't, I can't do all of that. Well, part of that is because, and I want you to hear this and understand this. When we talk about praying and we're saying it's talking to God our Father, part of our hesitance to pray could be because we don't have a good relationship with our fathers. That the relationships that we carry with the people around us, we kind of imprint on who God is. And so I want you to hear this. Prayer is not based on who I am. It's based on who he is. I'm going to say that one more time. Prayer is not based on who I am. It's based on who he is. I think that we need to rediscover who God is. Because the disciples, when they came to Jesus, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus says, hey, let me show you how to pray now. This is how to pray. He's going to, get, he's going to model it for him. And I don't think Jesus was going, or the disciples were going to Jesus because he was sort of mumbling through or stumbling through. They were seeing that Jesus was talking to the Father, that something was happening when Jesus prayed. How many, if you were going to, if, if I was, if I was going to pray, I want something to happen when I pray. Like anybody, like, hey, I'm going to actually pray. There ought to be some transaction. Something needs to happen here. And the disciples are looking at Jesus, and they're seeing him pray, and they're saying, wow, this guy knows how to pray. Right? And so some of us, we see somebody that knows how to pray. What do we want to do? I need that person to pray for me. I can't pray. I need to, but if that person would pray, then I'm in business. I just got done telling us we don't need to have anybody else pray for us. Yet we do the same thing in charismatic circles. Well, if only, if only that person up on the prayer team would pray for me, then, then I need pastor to pray for me. For a long time, I wouldn't go up on the prayer team because I wanted people to learn. You don't need me to pray for you. Now, the Bible does say it like this, call the elders of the church. Have them lay hands on you and pray for you. And the prayer of faith will make you well. But I want people to discover that you can go to God, that Jesus Christ himself will download into your heart and life, and you will forever be changed because this is a relationship with Jesus. And so what Jesus says to them, he says, here's how to pray now, guys. Listen to me. I want you to listen. Our Father, who art in heaven, Holy is your name. This is how Jesus starts out prayer. He starts out by redefining who our Father is. Our Father, who art in heaven. Jesus says this is a, this is a relationship with a Father. And holy is his name. And so I want us as a founder, I could teach on prayer and, and we'd be here forever. But in the next 15 minutes on your notes, we're going to work right on down through what our Father in heaven is. Because I believe that if you get a new understanding of who our Father is, it'll change your relationship and you'll want to talk to God. You'll want to bring what you have to him. 
You want to discover where our earthly fathers have failed us, our heavenly father never will. And so when we get our relationship with the father in right orientation, it allows all of the rest of our prayers to be unhindered. And so we are going to today look at who our father is. And I want you to track with these, in these names for Jesus. Jesus is the name above all names. And, and we're going to go through the Hebrew names for God, and they're actually represented in the 23rd Psalm. You might not know this, there's eight different Hebrew names. Jehovah, and then there's an ending that has a different descriptor of who God is. And there's eight of them. And they're all found in the 23rd Psalm. You may have never seen them here. We're going to see them here today. So Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, the Lord is my what? The Lord is my, the Lord is my, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you are ever discouraged, if you're ever fearful, if you're ever wondering who God is, you go to the 23rd Psalm. And in this Psalm, you're going to discover a God who takes good care of you. And so the first thing that we see in Psalm 23, chapter, chapter 23, verse 1, is that the Lord is my what? The Lord is my, everybody together, he's my shepherd. And so that, I want you to fill that in on the first fill in the blank. And actually, the Hebrew here for this word shepherd is Jehovah Ra'ah. It actually means in another way, you are my pastor. That God is my pastor. And what that actually looks like is that a, a pastor or a shepherd, the two words are synonymous together. They lead, they feed, and they correct. And what I want to invite you into is a relationship with God where he can lead you, he can feed you, and this is the part that most people in our culture today want to get out from under. Now he's going to correct you. And this is what I think is really important in our lives. That is actually expressed to us in the body of believers that God wants to use your pastors. He wants to use your community pastor to help lead you, to help feed you, and to correct you. And there's something that's missing in our lives if we don't come under the authority of leadership. Under God's leadership, best of all, but that leadership is expressed through his church. So God wants to be and is our pastor. He wants to be in relationship with us. And so it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Number two, you are my provider. We, the Hebrew here is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. 
It means, Jireh means you're my provider. He supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. That it says in Philippians 4.19 that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, here's what we tend to do. We tend to do this ourselves. I am my provider. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm a prov- I provide for myself. I take care of myself. I want, to, I want you to hear this. Don't do it. I'm not telling you don't work hard. The Bible says to work hard. It says to earn money. But it's saying don't trust in it. Don't trust in the strength of your arms. Don't trust in the money that you make. Because what will happen is whatever you trust in will have you. And God's jealous. He's not going to have any competitors. He, his name is Jehovah Jireh. And when we don't trust in him as our provider, he says, I want to create a situation for you to trust in me. And so what, whatever we put our trust in, that's where our heart is. So I like to say it this way. You can have money, but money cannot have you. And this is what statistically, actually it's very interesting. The people that make more money statistically give proportionally less or are less generous than people who have less money. By proportion, people with less money give more radically by percentage of their income than people with lots of money. And part of this is that over time, the Bible says money's wicked and deceitful. It's, going, it's the spirit of mammon. It'll get a hold of your heart. And this is why God's a percentage giver. Not a, like it, it's not about the amount that you give. It's the percentage of the sacrifice. The tithe being 10% is the same amount of sacrifice for everyone. The numbers might be different, but the amount of sacrifice is the same. Is anybody, am I making sense? Can I get an amen here? And so it's really important that God is our Jehovah Tower. He's our provider. And now it says in Psalm 23, verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. So think about that. I'm lying down. How many, that sounds like really nice. It sounds real good, right? So number three is this. You are my peace. Our Father is our peace. This is Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name, Jehovah Shalom. And this, this word, peace, he is our peace, isn't that he just gives us peace, but the Bible says that he is peace. And here we are, and we're in a culture that is greatly stressed. I mean, I'm still stressed out. We're starting to take our masks off and starting to be able to smile at each other in the grocery store. And I'm still sort of like decompressing. Like I'd get so agitated walking through the grocery store, I couldn't see people's faces. So dehumanizing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You start to feel that stress load go up a little bit. And what happens is that's 
its own level of stress. And then, church, you need to hear me on this. We, we need to maybe do a little bit less. Because not everything that's doable is sustainable. Ecclesiastes says it like this, better one handful with peace than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. That actually God's advice to us is he knows we're the kind of people, like we're going to fill it all up. I'm going to, like, hey, if I, if, I, if I got five seconds, I'm taking my phone out. Like I'm going to fill up the extra space. And God's saying, I want to be your peace. Because we think of it like this. If one's good, two is what? Right? So if one dollar is good, two dollars is? If one kid's good, two kids is? <laughs> you guys, you're not going to get me on that one, Pastor. If one wife is good, two wives is? Wrong. Right? A little joke about Solomon and his wives. You ask a uh, university professor at seminary, why did Solomon have a thousand wives? And you're expecting him to say this really complex, amazing answer as to what was going on with Solomon, who's supposed to be the wisest man in the world. And the professor just simply said, well, he was hoping that out of a thousand wives, one of them would be in a good mood when he gets home. <laughs> oh, snap. Come on, y'all, that's funny. All right, he's our peace. Now, Psalm 23, 3, it says, he restores my soul. Everybody say restores. restores. Number four, you are my healer. Jehovah Rapha, and here's what, what this means. Restoration, what restoration means is to go back to the place of original origin. And so when it says in Psalm 23 that he's restoring my soul, Jehovah Rapha means he's God, my healer. God wants to bring everything back to its original condition. And church, I want you to know this. The great physician is still at work. He's healing more than your body. That God is restoring your soul. And what happened for me this past week when I was at Living Waters, we're, we're in this time of what we call listening prayer. And so all week long, we'd go to listening prayer and you, you kind of confess some things and you begin to, to look at your life and you say, okay, God, I want to invite you to heal this part of me. And as God was coming in in one of those sessions and I'm confessing and I'm saying, God, this is what I need to, to repent of and this is where I want to invite you into my life. As I'm doing that, God touched my body. I had sciatica all week long. In the last several months, I've had this pain shooting down my leg. And as I'm praying and God's taking and taking and healing me on the inside, one of the guys that's praying for me says, I see God right now touching you. And kind of there's been a, a pain, almost like your back's been off-centered and that there's a pain that's running down your leg and in your hips. And I don't know, I'm just feeling like God's healing you. And I said, oh, I hope so. And I walked out of that room and I started doing this. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I normally have pain when I do that. And I haven't had any pain in my hips since that moment. 
Yeah, it's okay. It's God does heal, God restores. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the one who heals. But I want you to know sometimes the body keeps the score. That what's going on in your life as you're emotionally broken, it extends into our physical bodies. And as God wants to not just heal your physical body, he wants to heal your emotions and the brokenness, and those two things can be connected. And so actually, Pastor Gary Ingram's coming in August, the first weekend of August, and he's going to teach us about listening prayer. In August 4th, and then or 5th, 6th, and 7th, we're going to be doing an intensive Living Waters weekend. And we're going we're gonna to look at what, what and learn how to do listening prayer together as a church. And that's coming up during 21 Days of Prayer, that first weekend of 21 Days of Prayer, August 1st through 21st. And so August 6th and 7th, we're going to do that. So now, Psalm 23, 3, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm going to have the team come back. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Number five, you're my righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. Jehovah Sidnaku. Sid Canoe. Jehovah Sid Canoe. And here's what you need to know about this. In my life, as your pastor, I can stand here and I can tell you that I keep messing up. And you might wonder, oh my goodness, is a pastor allowed to be a pastor and not be perfect? And the answer is yes. Just the same way as you are able to be a Christian and not be perfect. But here's what you need to know and what I remind myself of often, I don't live to sin. I live to righteousness. And my God leads me into righteousness. And what we know about this is that our Father leads us in paths of righteousness. All of my sins have been paid for. All of your sins have been paid for. Past, present, and future. You might be saying, oh, but Pastor, I'm struggling in, in a sin and I just can't ever get this one sin. I seem to just, this one sin, I seem to struggle with. Here's what you need to know. God's going to deliver from you that. He's leading you into righteousness. And here's what's so amazing about it. You'll get through that one sin, and he's going to show you another one. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the greater the light is in your life. How I know when I'm actually around him, a mature believer, because they're not all puffed up. They're humbled down. When I know I'm around a mature believer, somebody who really knows Jesus, they don't stir around talking about how holy they are and how amazing they are. They start talking about how they must decrease so that he can increase. How I, I fall and I fail, but he is my righteousness. He's my strength. He's the one that I love. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you recognize how much and how far you have to go. God, though, is leading us in the holiness. Don't ever get discouraged when you look in the light of Jesus and see that that light reveals more sin. Because God is continuing the process of redeeming your life. 
Yea, in verse 20, uh, Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Number six is you are my constant companion. Jehovah Shammah means there. It actually means God's right there. And he is there. Where is he? He's there. It means he's present. He's always with us. No matter where I go, Jesus is by my side. God is always with you. He'll never leave you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Your father might have missed something in your life. You might have felt abandoned by your husband or your spouse. You might have feel lonely. You might feel like no one sees you for who you really are. But God says, I am Jehovah Shammah. I'm your constant companion. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. Psalm 23 verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It means you are my defender. Fill that in. Defender. This word here is Jehovah Nisi. It actually means you're my banner. And the way this looks is the banner goes out in front of the army. That what we're doing is in front of your life, God is saying, I'm out in front of you and I've got my banner in front of you and I'm putting everyone on notice that this is my territory, these are my people, this is my son, this is my daughter. And he's announcing that he's the king over your life. And that any enemy, any devil, any demon spirit can't have you. That no devil could be reside in the presence of the Almighty God. That the Spirit of God has filled your life. And devil can't stay where God is. The Bible says that where light is, darkness has to flee. That God's my defender. He is the one that goes in front of me. The Bible says that Jesus, he don't occupy the same house as the strong man. He throws the strong man out and then he takes possession of the house. He don't share space with the enemy. And so God is our defender. And that if you resist the devil, he's going to flee from you. The Lord is faithful. He's going to keep you from the evil one. And so Psalm 23, verse 5, it says this way. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Number eight, you're going to fill in this blank. It says, you're my sanctifier. He's Jehovah M. Kadesh. And here's what this means. To be anointed means you've been given supernatural ability. David says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. That sanctifier means that you've actually been anointed and set apart. When something's sanctified, it's anointed and it's set apart for a holy purpose. This is what you need to know about your life. That he's come and he's anointed you. Now I've been anointed 
And every time I come to, to preach, every time I come to stand before you, one of the things I say, and I declare it, I say, God, I thank you that the anointing in my life is greater than the need in the room. That the, the need in the room is gonna make a demand on the anointing in my life and I'm greater than or equal to whatever that need is. That whatever you're facing today, whatever's going on in your life, that there's an anointing on my life, that God's empowered me and equipped me, and the Holy Spirit's gonna flow out of me, and there's gonna be rivers of living water, and that you're gonna get everything you need, you're gonna get the deliverance that you need, that God in me is more than enough for anything that I face today. And that means that he's more than enough for anything that you face today. That God's actually sanctified you. That if you've called on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been set apart. That he, your head's been anointed with oil. And that your cup actually runs over. That out of you is going to flow river, rivers of living water. Healing to the nations that you have been given a purpose, that you've been given authority, that you've been given power, that it is overflowing in your life, that our Father, His name is, that He is our sanctifier, He's Jehovah M. Kiddush. And when I pray, I go, I say, our Father who art in heaven, what I'm saying is you're my provider, you're my healer, you're my sanctifier, you're my redeemer, you're the one who takes care of me. You are my peace. You're my hope. You're my joy. You are everything to me. Father, I come to you today out of joy. I come to you today because I'm going to discover in you all that I need. I come to you today and I pray not because I have to, it's because I get to. And when I come to you and I pray first, I discover the God who supplies all of my needs. I discover the God who heals all of my iniquities. I discover the God who takes care of me. And if you feel like you're not enough, you need to hear this. You've been anointed. That your cup runs over. That Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. And he is going to make a way for you. And whatever the enemy's trying to do, we break it off of you now in Jesus' mighty name. That you walk in freedom. That you walk in joy. That you walk in peace. That God has a purpose for your life. If you're not dead, God's not done. Come on, give him praise, everybody. We love him. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I pray right now at every location that you would do something beautiful in our lives, that you would move in us, that God, you'd reveal yourself to us now, that we would have a relationship with you, and it would change everything. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody together said... Amen.